what we're going to be covering is the prayer of Daniel. And we just so happen to be now back in another time. If, if you remember, when we got to chapter 7 and 8, we went back to the future kind of because we were talking about future things, but we went back because when we left off in chapter 6, Daniel was already in his 80s, and then we went to verse uh, chapter 7 and 8. He was back to his 60s and, and still in the Babylonian Empire. We are now uh, back. In, Daniel's now in his 80s again. Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire has taken, taken over. Uh, Daniel's life is just going hunky-dory, if you will, just going just fine. Things are, you know, God just continues to minister to his heart, and we're going to see that. Uh, we, we've, we see that Daniel, he, he's, he's been reading God's word because that's what he did. Um, he's been seeking the Lord all his life, um, and now he's old. He's continuing to do that. And one of the things that I was just amazed at is, again, we got to know Daniel in the first chapter when he was about 15 years old. He is now in his 80s. Nothing has changed in his life. He has been consistent throughout his whole life. Ups and downs, good and bad, he has been consistent. And so because he's in his word, because he's seeking God, um, whatever is going on here in this time, it prompts him to pray. And so let's read verses 1 and 2. And it says, In the first year of Darius... The king of, or the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And so the first year of Darius uh, the Mede was in 539 BC. That is when they have now come and taken over the, uh, the Babylonian Empire. As we've seen in the past, Daniel had these future events. He knew that the Medo-Persians would eventually take over because God has showed him that when he was a young man. And there was that image of Nebuchadnezzar of the gold and then the silver. The silver would be the Medo-Persians. So God had already shared that with him when he was about 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. Now, or, or somewhere around there. He's a young man. <clears throat> what we covered the last two chapters was the fact that, again, the Lord showed him that these kingdoms were coming. So, so it was no surprise to Daniel that, that there would be this changeover, and he is part of that. Again, when another kingdom took over, whatever captives were there that they had taken over, they just adopted them, basically, and they're captives of the new kingdom. It's interesting because now at this point, Daniel has been in, in exile or in captivity for 66 years of his life. He has grown up in captivity. That has been his life. Uh, Jerusalem was a distant memory of his, of his boyhood growing up. He will never go back to Jerusalem. It will only be a few more years that, that King Darius or, or Cyrus will give them the opportunity to go back. And so... So what happens here is that he continues to just serve the Lord regardless of what's going on, but the Lord reminds him of something. Again, this kingdom has now taken over. 
of chapter 5, the Lord had revealed, the Lord had revealed to Belshazzar through, through the interpretation that Daniel had because it was his writing on the wall of what would happen. And, and again, that, that his kingdom was now over. And so back in chapter 5, again, Daniel knew any day now this change is going to happen. And sure enough, Belshazzar dies. And that is when, when, the, when the Medo-Persians would be coming in. But one of the things that that propelled was now that the, the liberation of the Jews was just right around the corner. When, he, when, when it was the first year of Darius the king, the liberation would be soon. In a few more years, they would be freed to go home to Jerusalem, even though Daniel would not go home. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem in 605 B.C. And so it's only a few more years, and that's done. It's interesting because long before Daniel's days, long before the Lord had shown Daniel about what was going to happen, both, uh, both uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah had predicted the fall of Babylon. And so it was no surprise to Daniel. But it's interesting because Daniel is, is, is reading the books. He, he's here still in Babylon where it says that, that, the, uh, that Darius took over the realm of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans area was Babylon. And he says that in that first year, I, Daniel, I understood by the books the number of the years specified. So Daniel's in this place that because of where he's at, he's opening up the Word of God. And so it's no surprise to Daniel as he's opening up the book of Jeremiah that God is about to do something. So it seems that Daniel, he never, he never got away from Babylon, even though in our last study we've seen that he was, he, he was caught up in a vision, he was somewhere else, but he never left Babylon. He always stayed in Babylon. He's always been a captive there. <clears throat> so Daniel was reading. And I don't know if this was the first time he had read through this portion of Jeremiah, but I doubt it. Being 80 years old, Knowing the scriptures as a young man, I'm sure he's read through the scroll time and time again. But this time he understands. He understands that the 70 years is right around the corner. You could imagine when he was 15, 16, 17, when he was in his early 20s and reading this portion of scripture, knowing that it would be 70 years. 70 years was a lifetime away. And now that he is in his 80s, it's just right around the corner. And so he goes back to reading this, and he says, I, Daniel, understood. It, it was as if the words of the scroll just popped out at him. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. When you've been reading the Word of God, and you know you've read it time and time again, and this next time around, you're in a different place, and you're reading the Word of God, and something just pops out. It just hits you in the face, and you're going, I know I've read this so many times before. How did I miss that so many times? other times but you're in a different place you're going through something different 
And it almost seems that that's what happened to Daniel. That he understood. He understood the specific years that God had shown Jeremiah. It's quite possible that he understood it more today than any other time because it was just about up. It's interesting because when I first became a Christian years ago, 40, 40 years ago, there were certain things that people were speculating about, you know, in prophecy. And people couldn't quite comprehend how things would, would go down. But it is more understandable today because <laughs> it seems like we're right around the corner for the second coming. The rapture can happen at any time. I, I, I think it's more understandable the end times than ever before. Take, take for instance, if you lived 100 years ago. I know some of you guys are old, but you're not quite 100 back there, John. But you're getting there, bro. A <clears throat> hundred years ago, to, to comprehend some of the things that the Word of God says would just be inconceivable, to say the least. But they make more sense now, today, in the, in the time that we're in. And so as Daniel is reading the scrolls, he's probably reading through Jeremiah chapter 25. Now understand, there was no chapter and verses back then, so he's reading, he, he's... A, rolling out the scroll and he's coming across this but this is probably what he he came to so if you'd like you can turn to jeremiah 25 i'm gonna have you if you want you don't have to you can just write these things down i'm gonna have you turn over to a couple places places i know i don't always do that but in jeremiah chapter 25 beginning in verse 11 it gives us a a, a an understanding that God is in complete control of what is going on. Everything that is happening to the nation of Israel, God knew what exactly would be happening. And so in Jeremiah 25, beginning in verse 8 to verse 11, it says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of, of the north says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. The sound of the millstone, and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It's interesting because Jeremiah spoke those words. It will be 70 years. In, in, in chapter 29, verse 10, it says, let me just read it to you. It says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform a good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. 
All of this is under control of God's hand, isn't it? To, to be able to speak to a young prophet like, like Jeremiah, to give him the exact time of how long they would be gone. To understand this whole understanding of, of 70 years, I, I don't have time to really go into it, but because the nation of Israel was disobedient in, in that they did not allow the land to rest every seven years, God says, I will get my rest that seventh, that seventh year. And so for all this time, 400 and some years that they did not let the land rest, it added up to 70 years, and God says, I will get my Sabbath on the land. And for 70 years, that, that would happen. So after reading what he read, Daniel begins to pray. And I just have to think that it was such an amazing time that Daniel was now about to have with the Lord in prayer. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I, I, I'm sure many of you have. To experience this amazing time in the presence of the Lord. Because I know that for me personally, when I'm reading his word, it doesn't happen all the time, but oftentimes when you're reading his word, whether it's for me just personally in my own personal readings, or when I'm studying, and the Lord just, bam, he just reveals something to me. It's to just stop and just worship in prayer, to thank him that he has just spoken to you. It's so sweet. And, and, and I encourage you to, to look for that time, to anticipate a time like that when you open up his word, to be able to say, speak to me, Lord. And just take your time in it. And let him, let him speak from his word to your heart. And then just, just devote that time to prayer and thanking him for how he has spoken to you. Because this is what it looks like, or seems like to me, as I'm looking at this, as I'm studying this, and he has... He has been reading his word, and boom, this pops out that he just stops everything, it seems like, and he just goes into prayer. To be able to have that time is sweet. And so in verse 3 to verse 14, it says, Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, and I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, in all the countries in which you have driven them, 
because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his, servant, the prophet, his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And, we ha and he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a, a great disaster from under the whole heaven, such as never has been as what has been done to Jerusalem. But it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquity and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. What an amazing prayer that is. <clears throat> I love the fact that <clears throat> as I was looking at this, that Daniel, he didn't come before the Lord with pride and arrogance. Knowing that the Lord had just spoken to him something profound, reminded him of his promises, showed him that the 70 years was just about up. He didn't come to the Lord saying, man, the Lord reveals things to me and he just comes and in just this braggadocious kind of way before the Lord to brag about the Lord speaking to his heart. But instead, Daniel comes before the Lord with humbleness and brokenness. But knowing full well who his God was and is. The God who hears our prayers and answers our prayers. There's a Bible note in my Bible here <clears throat> that takes me over to 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we see another prayer. It's a prayer of Solomon. I'm not going to go into it right now, but there's some similarities that are attached in the way Solomon approaches God. So you can write that down so you can read it a little later from verse 22 on to the rest of the chapter, it seems like. But there's a similarity of how, 
how the, the humility of, of coming before God, the one who hears our prayers, the one that answers our prayers, the one who, who can move heaven and earth on our behalf. We have that privilege just like Solomon had, just like Daniel has. We have that privilege to enter his throne room because he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Even when we're in a state of disobedience, as we see here, Solomon, when he was praying, he was praising God because the temple had just been built. And the Lord is reminding him before he enters into this time of, of, of prayer that as long as they obey him, he will continue to bless them and go before them and be a strength to them. And so Daniel's studying of the scriptures leads, leads him to turn to God and to prayer the, pray this prayer of, of confession. From, from what I just read, verse 3 to 14 is a prayer of confession. From 15 to 19, it's a prayer of petition. But look at how he approaches him. He approaches him, it says, to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The sackcloth and ashes was because there was a grieving associated with this whole thing. It's interesting because he understands what is going on in his nation. They have been captive for all these years, and he knows why. The Lord reminded him through the words that Jeremiah shared. And so he, he, he comes to God in, in a humble way, fasting, taking the focus off of him so he can put the focus on God coming in a way that, 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 that there was almost like this grief that was upon him, this mourning, and it's time for repentance in his heart. And it's interesting because Moses revealed that principle on which God would deal with his covenant people, Israel. Obedience would bring blessings. Disobedience would bring discipline. It's a principle throughout the Word of God. And it's not just the Old Testament. And I think that oftentimes we, we look at the Old Testament and say, well, those laws were just for, for the Old Testament saints. No, they're for the New Testament saints too. Where, where it tells us in, in Galatians, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If you reap to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you reap to the, to, uh, or, uh, to the Spirit, you will uh, sow to the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life and the things that come with that so it's a principle that moses declared in the old testament one form of discipline was that israel would be subjugated conquered dominated by gentile powers <clears throat> when you read deuteronomy chapter 28 the first part of it talks about all the blessings if you obey the last part of it tells you everything and it's almost double the verses for your disobedience israel's experience in babylon was a result of the consequences of that principle 
when Moses revealed the basis on which the discipline would be lifted, the nation would be restored. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 6. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curses which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all the command you, that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Verse 6. And the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. There's a principle in the Word of God that, that again, in Deuteronomy, is very, very powerful. But it applies to us today. And we see it here in the prayer of Daniel. That because of their obedience for 70 years, they have been in captivity. But God promised to them, you turn to me. You repent. You follow after me. You confess your sins. The New Testament tells us that, that, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Same is true in the Old Testament. The children of Israel would have to return to God and obey His voice. Then God would bring them back from their captivity. And He would restore the people to the land. That, that is what He promised in Deuteronomy 30. And wherever they had been scattered or dispersed, He would bring them back and shower blessings upon them. Daniel definitely knew full well of why they were in captivity. And knowing that, he, he confesses because it was one of the prerequisites for rec restoration. And he, so he confesses the sin of his people. And I love what he does here as, you, as we're reading. He identifies with their sin as if he was the one responsible for it. And this kind of shows us a little bit more of who Daniel is. The kind of man that he was. <clears throat> because when you read the book of Daniel, when you study about who this character is, you never find in the scriptures a fault or a, wit or, or a weakness that is recorded about him. Not like Abraham or David or Solomon or some of the others. Not that Daniel was a perfect man, but his faults aren't recorded here. But Daniel confesses 
here in this part of his prayer. And he includes himself by saying, we, us, we have done this. He included himself in the, in the nation. In other words, he didn't put himself above the people. But he included himself. Because they were all in the same mess. didn't matter who it was. One of the things that I was thinking about, about Daniel and, and us as Christians in, in, in this nation that we live in. Oh, I know God deals with individual sin. But he also deals with a nation's sin. And when our nation go, goes in a direction that is not right, that is disobedient, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, you're going to probably suffer the consequences of the whole nation. Oh, God will still protect you, keep your hand upon you. But he will definitely allow you to go through the mess, just like da Daniel is. Daniel didn't do any of this. He wasn't disobedient. His fathers were, but he wasn't. And yet when it comes to it, he puts himself in that same place. It's important for us to be praying for those in authority in our lives in this country. We are to pray because they make decisions that affect us for the better or for the worse. And we're a part of it. Daniel understood that blessings depend, depended on obedience. Because the God of Israel, <clears throat> he keeps his covenant. He keeps his covenant of love. He keeps his covenant of loyalty for those who love him. And even coveted, covenanted people, this nation of Israel, they cannot experience blessings when they're disobedient. Again, God is not afraid to discipline us. When we are obedient, it just seems like the blessings flow. When we're disobedient, he gives us so much stinking grace, it's ridiculous. But there comes a time when he says, okay, <laughs> time to discipline. And, and, and we freak out. It's like, Lord, I can't believe you're allowing this to happen. It's like, dude, how you've been living your life for the last few weeks and months. You've been, you've been allowing the flesh to conduct your life, and so you're reaping of the flesh. God's not afraid to discipline his people. He would much rather pour out his blessing on, on his people, but he is not afraid to pour out the discipline. And that's what we're seeing here. He loves Israel still, even though they've been in captivity for 70 years. He loves his people. Daniel acknowledges that his people sinned at least four times in this prayer. And their sin was the sin of rebellion against God. They turned away from him, away from his word. They turned from his law, which they totally knew. God, in his grace, had sent prophets to exhort them, to minister to them. To have the people turn back to him. But they refused the message. Jeremiah gave them, prophet, gave them messages time and time again. They wanted to kill him. They threw him in jail eventually. They didn't want to hear what God had to say. And so they were guilty. 
And, and, and Daniel, he tells him, in, in, it tells us here in, in verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day. He acknowledges that God is righteous and God is just. He is righteous and just in disciplining his own people because of their unfaithfulness. And because of that, they were shame of face or they were covered with shame. And all who were near and all who were far, he disciplined them the same. Speaking of them being dispersed, scattered, God was the one that drove them out because of their disobedience. Again, God's discipline did not mean that he didn't have mercy still for them. If they asked for forgiveness, he would, he would forgive them. God, if he is a righteous God, has to punish rebellion and disobedience. That's what a righteous God does. He's not a passive God. He really is not. He's long-suffering. He's very patient, but he will punish rebellion and disobedience. And so they refused to keep the law of God because of their transgression or transgressing of the law. And that word transgression means that, that you come right to the line and you see the line and you cross it anyways. That's transgression. And they turned from God and they were stubborn in their, their disobedience and they refused to obey. I want to read a little bit from verse uh, Deuteronomy 28, <clears throat> 15 to 20. <clears throat> this is what he says. Earlier on, he tells them, these are all the, the blessings. But in verse 15 of uh, Deuteronomy 28, he says, But it shall come to pass that if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be, cursed shall be, shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall you shall your basket and your uh, shall be your your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of the land and the increase of your cattle. And the offspring of your flock, cursed shall be when uh, shall be when you come in, and cursed shall be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursings, confusion, and rebuke, in all that you set your hand to do, until you are destroyed, and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doing, in which. You have forsaken me. And it just goes on and on and on and on in chapter 28. And in spite of the severity of all the discipline that they had been receiving. Verse 12 tells us that there was a great disaster that has never happened to Jerusalem before. That's the city of God. And yet God allowed it. <clears throat> Uh, 
God doesn't have to wait <clears throat> for an entire nation to repent and cry out for mercy. He will start to work when he hears the prayer of just one man interceding for the nation. That's what he's doing here. James tells us that the effective prayer, the, the, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous, a righteous man avails much. God is beginning to work here. I know that the time is coming that, that, that God had set, but Daniel is interceding for a whole nation at this point. In verse 15 to verse 19, it says, And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as, to, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray. Let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for, for our sins and for our iniquity, the, the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are, in repro are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon the, your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your ears and see your desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your, for your own sake, O oh God, for your city and for your people are called by your name. So, so this is that petition part. As he has confessed all that they have done, he begins to petition the righteous God. And I love Daniel's openness, his confidence, his comfortableness with his God. Daniel is ready and he is eager to petition his God because he knows that he sits on the throne <clears throat> and he hears his prayers. He's confident of that. He didn't come before God again, as I said earlier, in arrogance and pride. He didn't come before God in his own righteousness saying, hey, there's nothing bad written about me anywhere. So you have to give me the right to come before you. He doesn't do that. That we may, that we may never think that we can come into the the presence of God in our own righteousness. Hebrews 6 or 4.16 says, Let us therefore come before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have the boldness to be able to come, but we come in humility because of who he is, because of his righteousness. 
We can come before God in openness and confidence and comfortableness, ready and eager, because He is our God. The same God that Daniel was praying to, we can come to Him the same way. He is my God. The same God that Daniel was speaking to here, He is my God, He is your God. If I said to you right now that we're going to have a prayer time, how many of you would be ready? How many of you guys would feel open, confident, comfortable, ready and eager to come before God? My hope tonight is that you understand that God loves you, that he's given you an opportunity always to come before, before him. That you would never think that you can't. And, and, and I know that throughout my life, the times that I felt like, man, I just can't even go to God right now because of my sin, because of my guilt, because of the way I feel. Those are the times that I need to be in his presence. The enemy is the one that says, how dare you think that God will hear your prayers? Even in your sin, God will hear your prayer. And I know some people are like, oh no, pastor. It's like, God is not that sensitive. It's not like God is like, oh my gosh, they're sinning. I can't look upon it. He hates sin. Understand that. Believe you me. But we have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus Christ the righteous that stands praying on our behalf constantly. And when Satan is, is accusing you of your stupidity and of your sin, God's, uh, uh, Jesus is right there going, yeah, I know. I know they're stupid. I know that. I love them anyways. So never think that you can't come into the presence of God. Satan would love to keep you from doing that. Let yourself experience his love. So we are going to have a little time of prayer. <laughs> Whether anybody prays or not, we're just going to be quiet. And if you feel like you need to pray, again, we have a perfect prayer here of confession and of petition. I would say don't hog up the whole prayer time, but let your request be made known to God, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time, Lord God, that we can be in your presence. Thank you, Lord God, for this time that we can come before you, Lord. Lord God, I thank you that you love us that much. That, Lord, you even show us in your word when your people prayed. You showed us, Lord God, what it looks like to humble ourselves. You show us here, Lord, even how, how, how a man like Daniel would include himself in the sin of the nation. Father, I thank you. I thank you for examples in your word, Lord. I thank you that Jesus showed us what it looks like to pray, to come before the Father, teaching us how to pray, acknowledging, Lord God, who you are, acknowledging, Lord God, that we can only come before you in the righteousness of who Christ is, not in our own. I thank you for all of that, Lord. I pray, God, that even tonight as we spend some time right now, maybe confessing, petitioning, you are a God who hears, Lord. You sit on the throne of heaven, 
your ear is attentive to the cry of your people. I don't quite understand how you do all that, Lord, but I'm so grateful that you know my voice. I'm so grateful, Lord God, that you know my name. I'm grateful for this time, Lord, that we can come before you. 